I'm Jessica Chobot, and this is AI Hype versus Reality, an original podcast from Dell Technologies. Facial recognition is grabbing all the headlines these days, but just how powerful is this tech, and is there any way to hoodwink the AI? I'm here in Venice Beach, California to find out. Hi, Jessica. Sean, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, Sean, what's your role here? Uh, I'm the co-founder of TrueFace. So what is TrueFace? TrueFace is a computer vision company focused on identifying patterns in real time in video footage or in pictures. So what does that mean in layman's terms? <laughs> it means we are ingesting video feed uh -huh. uh, in real time and analyzing it for things like faces, objects, threats, age, emotion. We've all heard how powerful facial recognition AI can be. So I wanted to find out just how powerful it is and if it could be fooled with something as simple as a mustache. We've got a Ned Flanders mustache here, which is the Smarty. Uh, the Rogue, which is, I think, a Magnum PI-esque kind of yes. mustache. Or the Bandit. Let's go with the Bandit. The Bandit? All right, let me get this. Oh, wait. Ready? Let's check it out. Whoa, just a second. Before we find out the results of that, let's sort the hype from the reality when it comes to AI and facial recognition. Quick and seamless security checks through airports, banks, and major events. Any device, including your car and your front door, will be unlocked with facial biometrics. No more fingerprints, ID cards, and best of all, no more passwords. Governments and corporations will be able to trace people no matter where they go. And of course, all of this will be happening any day now. To help me sift through all of that hype, I'm joined by Dell Technologies Emerging Tech Guy, Dave Graham. So Dave, when I go overseas, I have to go to those kiosks now and have them take a picture of my face and then take that up to a border patrol officer and they look and check everything and they still do fingerprints, but they are looking at my face. So some aspect of facial recognition is already in use. Absolutely. I think, yeah, what you're seeing here is is more on the front end of things, even domestically, where, you know, JetBlue, for example, and Delta, I believe, are two companies that have actually trialed. Instead of using a boarding pass, you now use your face. And that's freaked some people out because the understanding of where that data has come from is, is the challenge. Like, how is this being set up? You know, who's in control of that data? It leads into all kinds of privacy concerns, and obviously, those are pretty significant in this day and age. So, as those things relent as people give up privacy in order for convenience to occur, you'll start to see more of this. But I think they're controlled right now. They're controlled experiments, social experiments, really, in the airports to allow that type of thing to happen. So, yeah. So based on what you just said, our discussion about privacy, that is actually the big issue that surrounds facial recognition. Uh, we hear lots of news stories that people can be spotted within minutes and then forever tracked all over the country. So is that proof that AI facial recognition is actually already super powerful? It's an indication that facial recognition is being used. Uh, if you talk to a researchers, there's no CSI like, I'm going to track this person every single place that they go. There certainly are projects that are being worked on to get there, but a lot of this is being used, you know, non-real time, right? We are finding this person or finding them in tape. We're going to resources that, you know, might or might not have captured this person and we're falling around. It's very much a point in time, not a, I can scan every face at every given second and every given moment. Along those same lines, I also heard from Ali Farhadi. He's a machine learning and computer vision professor at the University of Washington. And he thinks 
a lot of these concerns are based on hype. The biggest challenge in face recognition, even with the state of the art, um, despite all the hype and uh, noise about it, is that the minute that you actually start thinking about recognizing millions of faces from each other, most of this technology would fall apart. And that's a key challenge, scaling face recognition to a large number of faces is is really hard. As a result of that, concerns along the lines that you're gonna, you're gonna stick a camera somewhere at the corner of a street and it's gonna recognize all 400 million Americans that walk in front of that camera. I do not believe that technology exists today. Country level, national, city level face recognition in the wild where you actually stick a camera at the corner of an intersection and you would recognize the, everybody who passes by that camera. The, the, the like that we see in sci-fi movies. I do believe we are still years away from that. All right, so I understand what Ali is saying, but even if he thinks we are still ways off from super powerful facial recognition, it does sound like we are still headed in that direction. So what is being done in this country to protect privacy? The biggest things being done to protect our privacy are really around legislation. So how things are enacted at the state, local uh, local government and federal levels. So, for example, just in the news recently, uh, San Francisco banned the use of facial recognition technology within municipality government, right? That's a step to actively prevent it being used in ways that are disrespectful of its constituents' privacy. So that does prevent certain activities from happening. It doesn't, it's not a carte blanche, though, to say it's never going to be used. It's more of preventative medicine in this case. I think you're going to start to see that type of mentality carried over in different cities as things move further along. There was a study that took six active sitting members of Congress, ran them through Amazon's facial recognition software, and all of them came back as criminals. And despite your political affiliation or leanings, it's probably not the case that they're criminals actually sitting in office there. So bouncing off of that, you know, if AI has only been trained to use male Caucasian faces, does it and will it then have trouble recognizing darker skinned people and also even women because it's used to looking at men? One of the things you touched on is essentially representation bias, right? You've grabbed a small portion of a population and you've attempted to use that to describe the whole. So what's happening here is mugshots are being used or criminal databases that are being used that are predisposed one way or the other, right? They don't accurately represent the population that that you're supposed to be taking images from. So you end up in a place where there's bias from the onset. Your data is biased, not maybe in a maladaptive or, or, you know, with bad volition, right? It's just something that's happened, part of your data set. Same thing, gender to gender, race to race. There has to be equal and fair representation in your data. Otherwise, you will always end up with your results being biased one direction or the other. In terms of what bias in facial recognition actually looks like, excusing the pun, I heard from Jason Goodman. He's a researcher at UC Berkeley working in the Tech for Social Good program. One of the ways that facial recognition technologies are are employed is that they're used a lot by uh, law enforcement agencies. When these technologies are are potentially biased or inaccurate, they may uh, perpetuate uh, unfair systems such as uh, mass incarceration that may unfairly harm marginalized communities. It's an unfortunate fact that many of our prison systems today tend to have a large representation of, of Black and, uh, and Latino males. And if it's the case that these 
technologies are trained on data sets that also have a unfair representation of Black and Latino males. And, and, and in particular, if these data sets label those individuals as potential criminals, it could be the case that facial recognition technologies that try to identify criminals in our society may reflect that bias and reflect that disproportionate representation. And so one potential way to overcome this problem is employees and shareholders can hold accountable the developers of facial recognition technologies if they change the way that the technology works such that it's not necessarily uh, targeting these, these individuals. Taking the points that Jason Goodman is making, I don't know if I can trust this. It comes down to with every, you know, every program that we write, who's watching the watchers? Who's holding people accountable? I agree with Jason that there is a level of accountability that needs to be taken, whether it be shareholder activism or, again, legislation or people in public places, you know, public spaces or public offices pushing back. Uh, well, Dave, thanks again for the insight and the knowledge. I'm actually going to take that with me as I put facial recognition AI to the test. Uh, first, Dave, though, I have a question for you, and you're going to have to answer because it's in your contract. <laughs> what do whale sharks, YouTube, and computer vision have in common? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> well, it has something to do with Wildbook. And I'm actually going to find out all about it. So I'll see you next time, Dave. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm Tanya Berger-Wolf. I'm a professor of computer science at University of Illinois, Chicago. Tanya is also the co-founder and director of a nonprofit group and their animal conservation project, Wildbook. We can take images and videos from different sources such as scientists, field assistants, camera traps, drones and autonomous vehicles on the water, ground and air, as well as tourists posting their vacation and safari pictures on social media and automatically find all the images that contain animals, where the animals are in those pictures, and uh, not only tell you what species they are, but also what animal individual animals they are. So Zippy the Zebra, Joe the Giraffe, Terry the Turtle, and Willie the Whale. By sifting through millions of images and videos from around the world, Wildbook means that conservation scientists can get a much better idea of just how many of a certain animal there are and where they're located, where they migrate, that kind of thing. Wildbook scans all of these images using computer vision technology, and recognizing animals is actually a lot trickier than recognizing faces. The big difference is that... In facial recognition, for humans at least, we kind of sort of know what matters, what aspects of the face make it recognizable. We don't really know what parts of zebra pattern really make this zebra unique and different from all the other zebras. Where should we look on the zebra's body? We also, what's different from facial recognition is most of the facial recognition technology are about matching the face that we see in the, in an image to the ones that we already have in our reference data set. For majority of the animals that we see out there, we only see them once or twice. And so from the very first time that we see an animal, we have to be able to tell you that, oh, this is a new individual. 
One example of wild book in action, cataloging an elusive animal, is with whale sharks. Every day we're scraping YouTube videos that have whale sharks in them, automatically find the frames that contain the whale shark, identify the individual, and use natural language processing to analyze the title and the text around the video to understand when and where the video was taken. We also have an intelligent agent interacting with the video poster, asking them uh, for additional information, which is not contained in the text if we need it. And so we've gone from a few hundred known individuals, before Wild Book for Whale Sharks was around in its current form, to now, we just crossed the 10,000 mark. We now know more than 10,000 identified individuals from almost 60,000 sightings contributed by nearly 8,000 citizen scientists and volunteers. And it's not only amazing that this is being done, that Wild Book is able to scan the web and figure out how many whale sharks are out there based on vacation videos, it's what they're doing with that information that matters. Before the existence of Wild Book, whale shark populate, global population numbers were estimated using genetic diversity. So that's a very scientific way of saying we don't know. And you can't manage what you can't measure. So any, and this is, these are endangered species, so we really need to know how many of them there are. And so now we have much better data. So by combining together all these data, we can understand the migration patterns, the seasonality of migration patterns, the, the dispersal from nurseries to adulthood and where they're going. We've discovered new populations in Madagascar. This is by combining the data, the efforts, the many eyes all over the globe to understand the picture of this global species. But Tanya points out that it's not all great news. In fact, Wild Book's success could actually undermine its goals of animal conservation. There is a little bit of a danger here because what is gold for scientists and conservation managers is also highly useful information for poachers and wildlife criminals. And so one of the aspects of using artificial intelligence to enable this wonderful tool and bringing data and extracting knowledge out of it from images in this case. We have to be very careful in the process not to enable the extinction of the species we're trying to protect. Still, that being said, the successes of Wild Book and its potential greatly outweigh the risk. So the most recent WWF report on the status of, our, of the living organisms on our planet is showing that we're losing biodiversity of this planet at unprecedented rate. So there is urgency in understanding what's going on, how we can help and how we can reverse those trends and what policies should be put in place. But for that, we really, really need to have even the basic data. And so Wild Book comes in to engage everybody in the process of conservation, not only by contributing data, but also by engaging with the biodiversity of our planet, by engaging with conservation in a very personal way. All right, it's time to take this out of the animal kingdom and bring it back to you and me. Well, specifically, me and my face. I'm heading off to Venice Beach to test the hype around facial recognition, and I'm meeting with Sean Moore, the co-founder of facial recognition company TrueFace, to find out just how this tech works. 
Our artificial intelligence is a self-learning machine. So we feed it an abundance of data in, and like a face, like a bunch of human faces, and the model is trained to recognize faces then. Mm -hmm. So the next time we see a face, we know it's a face. And then, you know, as it scans more stuff, does it gain in intelligence and what it's looking for? The more commercial deployments or the more visibility it starts to understand with each instance. So it gets smarter as time goes on. Awesome. So then how does your AI handle things like potential bias? I mean, race and gender. Right, so it's important to know that the technology itself is not biased. What is biased is the data. So data in, if that data is biased, meaning it's not proportionate to the population or the ethnic backgrounds, then you're gonna have an output that is also biased. So we've partnered with companies uh, around the world which we collect data from those underrepresented areas of the world, train our models on to ensure that we do not have bias. Awesome. All right, so what are you going to show me? First, I'm going to show you real-time facial recognition. Okay. Uh, so as we walked in, this camera behind us was actually recognizing us. So I've loaded us into the system. I took an image of you off the internet, mm -hmm. and I had one of myself. And just with that one reference image, we're able to positively identify you. Yeah, so to emphasize that, with just one photo of me randomly taken off the internet, Trueface was able to identify me as Jessica Chobot the moment I walked into the office. And then, uh -huh. then we take that and leverage the technology we built there to run an emotional analysis. And so what you're seeing here now is an emotional analysis tool where, depending on the way your face looks, you'll see fear, surprise, <laughs> happy, neutral, sad. Yeah. And then the graph on the left is a real-time reflection of your emotions. He keeps going to disgust a lot. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, where we see this technology really being used is at specific points. So when you think about focus groups, you want to gauge reaction based on the first time they look at that product or they see a, a video footage. Interesting. So as I'm sitting here looking at the pie graph, and well, both graphs actually, I seem to be defaulting to fear a lot, but it's not like 100% fear. It's 75% fear or 30% fear, then it kind of breaks down from there, giving a percentage to each emotion. Mm -hmm. How can I be 75% scared and also 12% happy? Like, how does that work? So it's similar in the way that facial recognition works. We take a, you know, a, an abundance of emotion data. So mm -hmm. people that are happy, people that are sad, that are fearful. And so we basically create a template for what those emotions look like from just a little happy to very happy. So that's where you're getting the percentages from. You know, because you have 20% fear doesn't mean that you are actually fearful. You could have 80% happy there. So happy would be the, the winning emotion, if you will. Got it. All right, so I'm gonna test it out. I'm gonna try and throw it some curveballs. Okay. Uh, like a smize, you know, like Tyra Banks smizing, where she's not really angry, she's trying to be sultry. I notice you don't have sultry as an option, so let's see what that Not yet. <laughs> sultry. Fear, <laughs> It's at 35% fear, though, so it's, yeah. it's definitely trying to understand. It's like what, something yeah. else is happening here. She's squeezing her eyes shut, but I'm not feeling the fear off of her so much right. as some other emotion. And so then how does the AI learn? So we're taking in hundreds of thousands, millions of examples of what happy looks like, what sad looks like, what fearful, what surprised, and we're teaching it to learn those emotions. So we're, we're providing an abundance of data to the artificial intelligence. It's learning patterns in that data. So these people with mouths you know, somewhat lipped up are happy. Mm -hmm. Eyes up are fearful or surprised. So it's just learning with time based on reference data. Okay. All right, so what am I looking at here? 
So this is our pose recognition, uh -huh. uh, and it's measuring your eye movement. So when you think about uh, attention while driving, so if we see you look down, we'll know you're looking down. As you can see there, we're, we're mapping out your ears, your eyes, and your nose, so we know in which which direction you're looking. Um, and so that's that's great for the automotive industry. I was gonna say the self-driving car search, yeah. Right. And then the pose detection is something that we're deploying in schools right now to detect fights. Um, also, also used in retail to see when people are reaching for objects. So you can see there as you move your body around, mm -hmm. we're measuring the different movements of your of your physical body. How does it know that it's a punch and not a... Because it's not looking at necessarily at the fist that no, I'm making. It's... it's looking at my wrist and my elbow and my shoulder. Right. And so similar to emotion or face recognition, mm -hmm. we've shown artificial intelligence or our machine learning what fights look like. Mm -hmm. And so mathematically, we understand what a punch looks like versus what something grabbing looks like. What about like horsing around? Like two friends are kind of pretend, you know, pretend fighting, but they're not really fighting. How, how does it differentiate between horsing around and and an actual fight. It goes back to True Face's principles of humanity first. Again, it's meant to inform. It's not meant to make a decision. So we're not telling you that there's a fight. We're saying this is an anomaly and typical behavior. Two students are coming together and it looks like they may be fighting. Please investigate. And then Pose is also used to see if someone's fallen over or you know, you think about elderly home care. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if an individual falls over, we can see them actually falling over if this technology is running on a camera inside the house. Interesting. So I see that, we mentioned it before, that it's um, recognizing inanimate objects like the bottles and things like that. So what's the purpose of, of that? If it's supposed to be following the pose of the person, why is it also looking at inanimate objects? There's multiple uses for object recognition. Uh, one is we track the dwell time of objects. So if a bag is left at an airport, we know that that bag has not moved for 32 minutes, 33 minutes, whatever that number is. All right, so I got some stuff that I brought from my house that I just had lying about. Every day I want to try and uh, see if we can't trick your AI. Let's go with this horrific thing. Um, it's kind of a combination of just like some dude's semi-bald head and also the clown from It. Okay, here we go. So I don't have any of my face covered up except for this ginormous forehead that I now have and fake uh, red clown hair. So that we are able to correctly Ooh, identify you. With. It knows. Well, yeah, I guess that would make sense because major, all my. You're not fundamentally changing the structure yeah. of your face. It's just hair. An so unfortunate accident with the <laughs> clippers. Exactly. So hair, uh, you know, sunglasses, hats mm -hmm. won't won't do enough to trick the system. Okay. So this, I'm kind of 50/50 on guessing whether or not this would work because they are fake mustaches. We got a Ned Flanders mustache here, which is the Smarty. Uh, the Rogue, which is I think a Magnum PI-esque kind of yes. mustache. Or the Bandit. So which one, I'm gonna let you choose. Which one should we go with here? Let's go with, let's go with the Bandit. The Bandit? I wonder if the Bandit would also affect the emotions. It could. Yeah. Ready? Let's check it out. Did not trick it. Really? What? Oh, it just looks, well, you know what? Because it's beige. It doesn't even look like I have a mustache on. It's like perfectly <laughs> matching my skin tone. That's a bad choice. All right, let's pick a different one. So I am actually wearing a Groucho Marx glasses, fake nose, and mustache combo right now. 
So as you can see here, we're identifying it's a, a face, but we don't know who it is. Um, so structurally changing the dimensions of your face and blocking the others will prevent us from properly identifying. I mean, this is like a 99 cent disguise. So, <laughs> I mean, is this, have we foiled your technique? No, you've not. You, you got to remember the environment in which this is being deployed. So you wearing that disguise would be far more alarming uh, than, <laughs> than anything else. That's a really good point. Okay, neat. I like this. All right, so hair doesn't matter. It's all just facial structure. Cool. There's no way to hide. Sean, thanks so much for chatting with me and giving me a rundown on the demos and putting up with my antics. Yeah, thank you for coming. Thanks. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So after testing facial recognition AI and hearing from a variety of experts, is the hype justified? Will facial recognition technology replace all forms of passwords or even our house keys? And will it track us everywhere we go? Well, first, there's a lot to figure out when it comes to privacy, but that thorny issue aside, while facial recognition is already powerful today and getting more accurate, it's not quite at the stage that it can find anyone under any condition. If you want to see all the crazy antics that went down when I was trying to trick the facial recognition AI, make sure and check out DellTechnologies.com slash HypeVReality. Now this is the last episode of AI Hype vs. Reality from Dell Technologies. I've had so much fun working on the show and I'd love to know what you think. The best way to do that is to leave a review. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>